Mark chapter 1. Today we're going to have a Bible study. We'll be looking at a lot of verses. We'll be going to a lot of verses. We'll be referencing a lot of different passages in the Bible. I'll have some pretty clear uh, points for you to follow, an outline, so to speak. So I encourage you to take notes today. On the back of all your bulletins, there's a place to take notes. Uh, Studies show that you remember much, much more, vastly more information if you write it down and take notes, so I encourage you to do so. After all, it is the Word of God. It is extremely important. Why not remember it? Amen? Amen. Hooray? Hooray. Hurrah. Hurrah! Anytime you can get adults to say hooray and hurrah. You're in a good place. We're going to continue in Mark chapter 1. By the way, did you guys have a good time this week taking on that challenge of getting up and reading the Word of God? Yeah. Yeah. Look at people. They want to raise their hands. Show me if you did it. Oh, praise the Lord. Right on. Give yourself a hand. Come on. Give yourself some love. I'm so proud of you guys. I talked to so many people this week that took that challenge and did that, and not one of them was upset. Not one of them was bummed. Not one of them regretted taking the challenge to get up early and read the Word of God. I hope it blessed your life like it has blessed my life this week. And now it makes sense, having done it for a week, do you want to stop? No. No. You're like, what? What was I thinking? Why was I not spending time with my Jesus in the morning? So now here we go, another week. Let's just do it for another week. Let's say together again, we're going to read our Bibles. We're going to get up half an hour early, spend some time in the Lord, keep it together, keep it real for one more week. Does anybody um, want to testify to what God did in your life this week through spending some time with him? Anybody got a testimony? Horace? Yeah, I just found myself when I was driving after that, just Yeah. Amen. It makes me happy to start my day with Jesus. We, last week we talked about that quote from Charles Spurgeon where he said, um, it's a good policy not to look into the face of a man in the morning until you've looked into the face of God. Isn't that a good one? I feel like we'd be such better people to each other if we would adhere to that. Gee whiz. Let's get back into the Word of God. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. We're going to revisit that verse. We're going to narrow our focus from last week. Let's read it. And in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus arose and went out and departed to a lonely place, and he was praying there. Father, this morning, as we study your word, we ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, would instruct us. And that even now, as you already have, I believe, through the worship, you would stir up a hunger in our hearts for those who know you, those who don't, those who maybe think they might want to know you, those who want to know you more. Stir up a hunger in our hearts and put in us a passion for prayer, a passion for talking to you, a passion for communing with you, a passion for hearing from you. Jesus, you died on the cross that we might be with you. Nothing more wonderful than to be with the creator of the universe who fearfully and wonderfully made us, who knit us together in our mother's womb. Lord, I grieve to think how much we miss out on by skipping you, by not being with you. You are so wise, you're so good, you're so wonderful. You have so many blessings in store for us this morning. Impress that upon our hearts and impart to your people here a passion for communing with you, for being with you. 
I ask now that every word I speak would be directly from you, God. We need to hear from you speaking through your word to your glory and to your praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we talked about priorities and sacrifice. We talked about the fact that Jesus made it a priority during his life, during his earthly ministry, to commune with the Father. Frequently and often, we took note of, he would escape the crowds, he would escape the people, he would escape the pressures, and he would go up on the mountain or to some lonely wilderness place to be there with the Father. That Jesus made communing with the Father a priority. We also took, la- took note last week that when he made that priority, a sacrifice had to be made. That is, for him to give time to that, something else had to go. You know how it is in your life. We've got to make decisions all the time. And so when we set priorities, something always has to be sacrificed. And we talked about last week how Jesus sacrificed some apparent ministry opportunities to commune with the Lord and get direction from him. And many of you this week, You made it a priority to be with the Lord. The vast majority of you said, I'm just going to get up a little earlier. I'm going to seek the Lord. And you had to sacrifice something, didn't you? What did you sacrifice? Sleep. But let me ask you and answer honestly. Did God return to you energy? Was there anyone walking around all day going, oh, because I got up early and read my Bible. Now I can't do anything all day. I have no energy. Anybody? Nobody. God is so faithful when we sacrifice our priorities to make him a priority to bless us in that and to provide for us. And so we made a sacrifice this week. Just as we saw in our text last week, Jesus made a sacrifice, but we realize that the sacrifice is good and right and is okay because we saw that Jesus said last week in the account where he was at Martha and Mary's house that only a few things are necessary, really only one. And Mary had chosen the good part, that part which would not be taken away from her. What was Mary doing? She was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. And Jesus said that was the good part, meaning it had value, and that it wouldn't be taken away from her, meaning it had eternal value and was of eternal quality, spending time with the Lord. And we noted last week that Jesus modeled this continually throughout his ministry, getting alone with the Father and spending time in prayer. Now, this week we narrow the focus a little bit from just being alone with the Lord to spending actual time praying unto the Lord. And we realize and understand as we look at the Gospels that Jesus received direction and insight from the Father. Look at these verses. We're told in John 5, 19 that Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. We're told in John 8, 28, he said, I speak only what the Father has taught me. And in John 12, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Now listen to that. He heard from the Father. He was directed by the Father. He was taught by the Father. The Father spoke to him and Jesus spoke those things. Can't we make that the prayer of our lives? That's the desire of my life. I want to hear from the Father. He is the all-wise God. He knows the plans he has for me. He knows how to move. He knows how to work. He knows how to bless. He knows how to set me on the right path. I, like the Lord, want to hear from the Father. I want to receive orders from headquarters. Now listen to me. In receiving orders from headquarters, we realize that much of that comes from the Word of God, the manual, the book that God has given us. 
but also much of it comes from hearing directly from the Lord in times of prayer, being with Emmanuel, not only in the manual, but with him, Emmanuel, God with us, giving us direct orders from headquarters. We've been talking a little bit over the last two months in the life of our church about spiritual warfare, just a bit. Just enough to realize and know and discern and understand that it is real, that it is happening, that we must be aware of it and engaged in it. Thinking about warfare, have you heard, uh, you probably heard at the beginning of the Iraq campaign that the United States had a brand new weapon that they were planning to test out. Did you hear about this? It was called the E-bomb. Anybody hear about this? Okay, the E-bomb, the E-bomb. Here's the thing. They would go to a place, there would be the enemy. They would drop this E-bomb. E is standing for uh, electrical and it would let off this gigantic electrical pulse that would put out all the communications in the area. So none of the computers would work anymore. None of the phones would work. None of the faxes, none of the cell phones. None of that stuff would work anymore. Well, bam, all communication taken out. Now, why would that be such an important weapon? Because if you can take out the communication of the enemy, you've got them, right? If they can't communicate with headquarters, if they can no longer receive direction from headquarters, then it's only a matter of time until they're confused, confounded, and losing the battle. In the same way, Satan thinks of this toward you and I. He wants to take out our communication with headquarters, If he can do that, he knows it's only a matter of time until we are confused, confounded, and beginning to lose the battle. Satan always wants to take out our communication. He does not use the E-bomb. He uses the B-bomb. B standing for busy, 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 busy. Isn't that the scheme of the enemy? He wants to set off a bomb of busyness in your life that you seem to not have any time to commune with the Lord to receive orders from headquarters anymore. I've come up with this, busy, being under Satan's yoke. Isn't that a fact? Because why? What happens when we go to get set priorities in our life and we're too busy and we're all distracted with the things of the world? So often, the Lord is the one who loses out first as far as us giving time to him. Why is that? We know we ought to pray, but I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to do this, I got to do that, and the other. And it always seems that the first thing to go is our spiritual life. The enemy wants to take out our communications with headquarters to confuse us, confound us. And we saw last week in the story of Martha that even well-intentioned busyness could distract from what the Lord would have. There she was just wanting to serve the Lord. I'm just going to make this meal for the Lord. She was doing all this stuff. She thought she was doing the right thing. She thought even she was serving the Lord. And the Lord rebuked her and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered by so many things. She was busy with all of her distractions. And that's when he said, Mary has chosen the good part. That part will not be taken away from her. So it follows that we must in our lives make prayer a priority. And that's what we'll speak about today. But as we seek to, we must know, we must discern, we must understand that it will be a battle. If you seek to cultivate prayer in your life, to have a prayerful life. It will always be a battle. And so this morning, as we talk about prayer, I'm going to feel like an idiot because I am in no way worthy of talking about prayer. Listen, I have in my library 27 books on prayer. 
I'm pretty sure I've read them all, and I feel like I know nothing about the subject. How can we plumb the very depths of the mysteries of God? Communing with the God of the universe? I mean, the God of the universe, when you open up your little mouth, he goes, huh? And he listens, and he responds, and he does stuff in response to our prayers, and he transforms us as we pray, and he lines us up with his will. That is mysterious, that is wonderful, that is amazing, that is crazy, and we could preach about it forever. But because I'm so unworthy and so unable... I just came up with a message called the practicalities of prayer, which is what we will call this message, the practicalities of prayer. We'll just talk about a couple practical aspects of prayer, just a few little tiny things that popped into my head this week. Here's our outline. The practicalities of prayer. First, we'll talk about the Father's heart toward prayer. We'll talk about the promises of prayer, the command of prayer, and then briefly, the practice of prayer. As we talk about the Father's heart toward prayer now, turn to Matthew 17. I'm sorry, Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at a lot of verses today. You're going to have to be quick with your Bibles. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus speaking in verse 7. Says, Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who, fi- and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened. What man is there among you, when his son shall ask him for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If then, you being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Listen, it's very clear from the words of Jesus here that God desires that we come to him, that we ask, that we seek, that we knock. And in the Greek there, it's explicit that we keep on asking, that we keep on seeking, that we keep on knocking. God invites us to, that is his heart toward prayer, come to me, ask, come to me, seek, come to me, knock. And when we do that, we realize that God relates to us as a perfect father, as a perfect father. We must not project the ideas of an earthly father upon him. He relates to us as a perfect father. And being a perfect father, he knows how to give perfect gifts at the perfect time. Being a perfect father, he loves to hear your voice. The father loves to hear your voice. I'm a father. My son Isaiah is almost three years old. He'll be three on November 11th. We are currently accepting gifts at any time for him. And... Uh, I, I'm enamored with this kid. Some of you know this. And I love to hear his voice. So much so that just yesterday we were playing this game in our living room. My wife bought him this little Noah's Ark game. And we spin the thing and move the pieces. I won't tell you about the game. But we're playing this game together. And he was kind of being quiet. He's just sitting there and spinning and moving his piece. And I wanted to hear his little voice. His voice is so wonderful. And so I'd ask him questions and he would just kind of ignore me and spin and move his thing. I'd ask him another question and he'd kind of ignore me. And finally, I would ask him all these pointed questions, just wanting an answer. And finally, I said, Isaiah, what does a doggy sound like? What does a doggy sound like? No, nothing. What does a kitty sound like? Isaiah, make a noise for Papa, please. I want to hear your voice. I'm crazy about this kid. I don't care what he says. 
I just want to hear that sweet little voice. Listen, God is the same way with you. Bible declares that he knit you together in your mother's womb, that he knows every hair upon your head, that he formed you, that he loves you, that you are infinitely important to him. God loves to hear your voice. Isn't that amazing? There's people on this earth that at the sound of your voice, they just go, oh man, not that person again. Not your father in heaven. He loves to hear your voice. Jesus died on the cross that we might commune with the Lord. He wants to be with us. He wants to spend time with us and he wants to speak to us. Don't you know, don't you understand that the God of the universe wants to speak directly to you in the quietness of your heart, God wants to speak to you. We also see from this passage that the Father wants to give what is good to those who ask him. The Father wants to give what is good to those who ask. The Father is longing to bless you. The Father is longing to give you gifts. My mom is a lot like the Lord in this way. She loves to give presents. Do you know my mom? If you know my mom, she's given you something at one time or another. My mom loves to give gifts, loves to give presents. In fact, she cannot wait. It is today, November 2nd, correct? November 2nd. I guarantee you in the next week, she'll be offering me Christmas presents. I guarantee you. Every year in November, she says, do you want an early Christmas present? Mom, come on. I want to wait a little bit. Oh, okay, let me have one. She has a term when your birthday's coming around. EBP. She'll come up to me and say, do you want an EBP? Early birthday present? My birthday's at the end of February. She will be asking me in January, right after Christmas, if I want an EBP. My mom loves to spoil me, loves to give me gifts. I love it. But the Lord is the same way. The Lord is the same way. He has blessings for you and gifts for you and treasures and he just wants to bless you with all the blessings in the heavenly realm. He is desiring to do so. We miss out on so much when we don't seek him and commune with him and get aligned with his will and allow him to bless us. James said it very poignantly. He said, we have not because we ask not. We have not because we ask not. Turn now to Luke chapter 18 as we see another aspect of the Father's heart regarding prayer. Luke 18. We see in Luke 18, verse 1. Now Jesus was telling the disciples a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. All right, here's the point. Jesus was telling them a parable to teach them that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Jesus said this, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. And there was a widow in that city and she kept coming to the judge saying, give me legal protection from my opponent." And for a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow is bothering me, I'm going to give her legal protection, lest by continually coming she wear me out. He got annoyed. He said, finally, this woman will not stop asking. I'm going to give her what she wants. Verse 6, and the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. Now, Shall not God 
bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? It's a uh, rhetorical question. The answer is no. Verse 8, I tell you that he will bring about justice for them speedily. We have here a parable by contrast. That is, we're given the picture of the unjust judge who must be bothered, 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 bothered before he gives a woman what she wants. And then we are told that the father is not that way, but he is willing to bring about justice speedily for those that ask him, for his elect, for his people. So you can know that as you pray, God is listening and he wants to respond quickly, immediately. If there seems to be a delay to your answer in prayer, it is because the Lord is saying, wait, hold on a minute, or no. We don't like to hear that, do we? Sometimes the Lord says no, and we keep on praying, and the answer will forever be no, but we keep on praying. But the Lord answers quickly. His desire is to give you justice. Listen to what Revelation chapter 5, verse 8 says about prayer. It says, our prayers are as golden bowls full of incense before God. That is to say, our prayers before him are delightful. They're a sweet aroma in his, in his nose, in his presence. They're wonderful. He delights in them. He loves them. They are as golden bowls full of incense before him. He's waiting for you to make prayer a priority and to begin to express your heart to him, to begin to share with him, to make your request known from him. And when you do, the Bible says that God delights in that. Turn now to Ephesians chapter one as we see further God's heart with wanting to bless you. Ephesians one. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, just a picture of how much God desires to bless us and has. Ephesians 1, 3, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. What does that passage tell you about God? He's nuts about you. He loves you. There is nothing he wants to withhold from you that is good for you. He gave you his son. If he would give you his very son to die in your place, what then would the father withhold from you that is good? Nothing. God has demonstrated his love in that while we were yet sinners, he gave Christ Jesus to die for us. Another important passage to remember as we think about the Father's heart as it pertains to prayer is Jeremiah 29, 13, where he promises to his people, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. In the previous verse, in verse 12, he said this, and you will come and pray to me and I will listen to you. 
And then the promise. And when you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. There is an invitation and a promise that we seek after him with all of our heart. And the promise is that he will be found. Who among you found him this week in your quiet time? Did you meet with the Lord? Even unexpectedly, when we seek him, he reveals himself to us. There's a book out called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, which we're selling at the book table. Uh, I suggest that everybody get this book and read it. It's pertaining to primarily prayer. And I read it, and it uh, really blessed and transformed my life. And here's a quote from it on the subject that we're speaking of. Jim Cimbala, the author, says, Are we hiding behind the doctrine of God's omnipresence, that he is everywhere around the globe, especially where two or three are gathered together, to the point that we don't seriously ask and expect to see him work with power in our lives here and now? Shouldn't we expect to see him in action once in a while? Shouldn't we implore him to manifest himself? Moses did, Joshua did, Elijah did, Elisha did, Peter did, Philip did, Paul did. Shouldn't we? And then he says, God will manifest himself in direct proportion to our passion for him. That changed my life. God will manifest himself in direct proportion to our passion for him. The principle he laid down long ago is still true. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And then there's a prayer. Oh God, split the heavens and come down. Manifest yourself somehow. Do what only you can do. I have had the honor in my recent years to travel around really the world and preach the word, and teach the Bible in all sorts of different contexts, in all sorts of different churches, dozens and dozens of churches. And I have seen here in America one common attribute among those churches. They lack the passion. Let me say it differently. We lack the passion to call upon God to show himself powerfully. I see it. I go to prayer meetings, multiple, multiple prayer meetings during a week, and I see that God's people lack a fervency, lack a passion in calling upon him. If what this book says is true, I don't know exactly, but if what it says is true, that's a bummer. God will manifest himself in direct proportion to our passion for him. It seems true because Jeremiah 29, 13. We will find him when we seek him. How? With all our heart. With all of our heart, what does that mean? What does it mean when you do something with all your heart? Have you ever loved somebody with all your heart? Your significant other, your spouse? Oh, do you remember that when you love them with all your heart? Have you ever done anything so fun you do it with all your heart? I've surfed with all my heart. I rode my dirt bike even recently with all of my heart. What does it mean to seek the Lord with all of our heart, with every fiber within us, with the fullness of our being, with all of our mind, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our body, with all of our energy to seek after God? Man. When we seek with him, when we seek him with all our hearts, we will find him. So that's God's heart toward prayer. He wants us to find him. By the way, it's not some twisted game of hide and seek. You know what I mean? He wants to be found. Hasn't he made it obvious? Oh, gee whiz, what should I do to speak to the people? Let me think. Well, how about I become one of them? Yeah, that works, God. And so he came. 
How can I express my love to them? How about if I die on the cross in their place? Yeah, that works. How can I express to them my power visibly? How about if I rise from the dead? Oh, good idea, Lord. Man, the Lord is wonderful. He wants to be found. Secondly, the promises of prayer. Much of that was already revealed as we looked at God's heart concerning prayer. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. But how about Jeremiah 33.3? Call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and mighty things which you did not know. Call to me. Call to me. Not haphazardly go about your day and wonder if somehow you might utter a little prayer, but call to me. Isn't it wonderful that we could call upon the living God? This is why prayer is so amazing that we can even speak to this God. Who are we but dust? Why should we have his ear? Why should our voice be heard in heaven? Only by the grace of God because he tore the veil in two. He's removed the separation and in his love, he delights to hear from you. And so he says, call to me. How about Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. It says something like this. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests be made known to God. And the God of all peace shall guard your hearts and your minds. Listen to that promise. Be anxious for nothing. When you get anxious, pray with thanksgiving. What a wonderful piece of advice from Philippians chapter four. When we are anxious, how many people are anxious ever here at all? When we are anxious, begin to pray. Begin to pray with thanksgiving. God, I am thankful for this and I am thankful for that and I am thankful for this and I am thankful for that and thank you that you've done this and thank you for that. Why with thanksgiving? Because when we express a grateful heart toward God, it changes our attitude. We suddenly begin to realize the blessings of God, the goodness of God, all that we have, great, all that we have to be grateful for and we avoid that thing that I call the Eve complex. The Eve complex. She could eat from every tree in the garden except for the one and she said, well, I want the one. Isn't that humanity? She should have walked around and said, thank you for this tree. These are lovely purple flowers, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for this tree. Oh, thank you for this fruit. Thank you that I could eat of this tree. Thank you for all this stuff. Instead it was, what about that one? I want that one. When you get anxious, have a grateful heart. Tell God what you're grateful for. And then make your requests be known to him. God, I am worried about this. And the promise is when you do that, that the peace of God shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now that's a promise of scripture, meaning it's good and it is true for all of you at all times. I've made that a plan in my life. When I begin to worry, and man, I feel like I have stuff to worry about just like you. I just begin to pray. And the peace of God guards my heart and my mind. That's a wonderful promise concerning prayer. There's another one in Romans chapter 8. Verses 26 and 27, which tells us we don't always know how to pray as we ought. And so the Spirit of God intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now listen to what that means. We've got all this stuff that we ought to pray about, and sometimes we're just like speechless. We We don't understand the situation. We don't know exactly how to pray, exactly how to address it. And the promise is that the Spirit of God intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So even when we cheese out and don't know how to pray, the Lord takes care of that and prays for you. Isn't he wonderful? 
We see a wonderful uh, picture of the Trinity in prayer. The Spirit groans through me. The Son intercedes for me. And the Father will do what is right concerning me. The Spirit intercedes through me. Or I'm sorry, the Spirit groans through me. The Son intercedes for me. And the Father will do what is right concerning me. Furthermore, in John chapter 16, Jesus told us that prayer makes our joy complete. He said in John 16, 24, Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be made full. Are you lacking joy in your Christian life? Ask the Lord. Begin to pray, and the promise of Jesus is your joy will be made full. So look at the promises, just a few of them concerning prayer. That he will answer us, that when we're anxious, he'll bring peace, that he will help us pray when we don't know how to pray, and through prayer, our joy will be made full. Aren't those wonderful things? I can use those daily in my life. Now, given the Father's heart for prayer, how he views it, that he loves to hear from us and loves to answer and bless, given the promises of prayer that he will hear, that he will bless, that he will give us joy and take away anxiety, it seems strange then that he would have to command us to pray. If we begin to read the Bible, it's wonderful prayers. I mean, this should be like a no-brainer to us. We are Christians, we pray. We are allowed to approach the God of the universe, the main man. Go try to call President Bush today. Will you get in touch with President Bush? Never. He will never, ever, 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 ever answer your call or call you back. Never. (laughs) But who cares about President Bush? I know his boss. I know the king of kings. I know the one that made him in his mama's womb. I don't need to call him. I'll call the king. We can call him directly. It seems silly to me that God would have to command us to do so. But we are perverted, aren't we? We are messed up, silly, dumb, wicked people. Let me demonstrate to you how silly, how dumb, how wicked, how messed up we are. In Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 4, God gave this commandment. You shall not place a stumbling block before the blind. but you shall revere your God, I am the Lord. Wait a minute, what? Hold on. God had to tell his people not to trip a blind man? How messed up are we? God should never, this is a wonderful book. God should never have to put that in this book. He shouldn't have had to say, oh, by the way, my people, don't trip blind people. Why did he have to say that to me? Because I am wicked and full of deceit and perverse. Oh, man, we're messed up. My people, I am the Lord, revere me. Don't trip the blind man. We are sick. (laughs) Even more sick is that he has to command us to pray. It should be the highest priority. It should be the first thing we do. And yet he commands us over and over again in the Bible to pray. He doesn't recommend it. He doesn't just merely counsel us to do so. He commands it. Charles Spurgeon says it like this. When a hospital is built, it is considered sufficient that the doors are open to the sick when they need help. But no order is made that the sick must enter the hospital's care. 
It is just assumed to be enough to offer its services without issuing a mandate that men must accept it. So, it comes as strange that when prayer is concerned, man needs a command to be merciful to his own soul. We're dumb. But let's look at a couple biblical reasons of why we must be commanded to pray. First of all, we must be commanded to pray because we are subject to periods of worldliness. That is, we get swept away with the things of the world, with worldly ideas. We get distracted with so many different things. We never forget to go to work. Well, probably some of us do. We don't forget to eat. Nobody forgets to eat. Nobody forgets to put their clothes on in the morning. You don't walk out the door naked. Oh, oh, honey, thanks for reminding me. I forgot again. I got to put my clothes on. No. We see those things as necessary. We automatically do them. And yet it seems that prayer in our lives gets the leftovers and the world gets the best. The things of the world get our best attention, our best efforts, our most energy, and prayers get the leftover. We're prone to forget and we get lazy. Therefore, God has commanded us to pray because we are so often, even in our Christianity, worldly. In fact, even Jonah had to be reminded by those piratey guys. They came in during the storm and they said, how is it that you are sleeping? Get up and seek your God. To his shame, even these heathens had to come and say to Jonah, what are you doing sleeping in the time of need, in the time of trouble? Get up and seek your God. Didn't Jesus say the same thing to the disciples in the garden? There in the garden of Gethsemane, he said to his disciples, okay guys, here, let me break it down for you. Tomorrow is the cross. I'm gonna die on the cross. Remember how we just did the whole communion thing? Remember the cup, my blood poured out for the forgiveness? Remember the bread, my body broken? Yeah, we've been talking about this for a long time, Peter. Don't forget. Now listen, I'm gonna go over here and pray. You pray lest you enter into temptation. And Jesus went and prayed and he came back and the disciples, and Jesus comes back and goes, dude, what are you guys doing? Pray, just pray, man. Goes away, prays again. Comes back, the disciples. Jesus comes back a third time. Listen to me, fools. Please pray. Please pray lest you enter into temptation. And they didn't pray. And what happened? Peter denied Jesus Christ three times that night. The Lord beckons us to pray. Another reason why we must be reminded to pray is because our hearts become heavy. Our hearts become heavy in the midst of trials. Our hearts become heavy in the sense of our own failure. And if you're like me, you fail miserably with regards to righteousness and sin. I sin over and over and over again and I say, Lord, Lord, Lord. And then comes this little demonic voice of the enemy saying, Britt, don't even try to pray right now. You know what you did. I saw what you did. I bet other people know what you do. Don't even try to pray. Who are you to call upon God right now? You can't pray right now. And my heart becomes overwhelmed with heaviness and with grief. And it's at that very moment where I need to open up the Bible and be reminded to pray lest I be overwhelmed with my own sinfulness, with my own grief through trials and tribulations. We need to be reminded to pray because the enemy always discourages it. Therefore, thirst. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. Lord, how much should I pray? A prayer meeting a week? A little bit in the morning? How about forever and always? Pray without ceasing. 
What does that mean? That we walk around on our knees with our hands folded? Oh, I can't talk right now. I'm praying. I can't work right now. I'm praying. No, it's not like that. It's an attitude of prayer. It is a continual communing with God. There's a wonderful challenge for this week. Try to just be mindful of Jesus' lordship in your life all the time this week. Practice his presence, so to speak. Just think about him continually being with you. And that develops an attitude of prayer. You're just continually speaking to the Lord. It's very good for sin issues. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, the Lord says, Enter boldly into the throne room that we may receive grace in the time of need. We must also be commanded to pray because of our frequent lack of faith. And so the Lord reminds us in Psalm 50, verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. Psalm 62, verse 8, trust in him at all times. O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And so when we're lacking faith, he reminds us to pray. He says, pour out your heart to him. God is a refuge. He will hear. He will respond from heaven. And lastly, the practice of prayer. Involving three things, faith, motives, and obedience. These must always be in place when we pray for a fruitful prayer life. Faith, correct motives, and obedience. First for faith, turn to James chapter 1. James 1. James 1. Let me hear your pages turning. Okay. James chapter 1, starting in verse 5. But if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. There's a good thing. You need wisdom? Ask God, and God will give it to you. Wonderful promise. Verse 6. But let him ask in faith, without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Hebrews declares, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Remember last week I used the illustration for faith? What if I went to my wife and I said, Sweetheart, I want to take you out for dinner, get dressed. And she said, Oh, I wish I could believe you. What? Woman, Get your clothes on. I want to take you out for dinner, sweetie. I want to go, but I just don't believe you. I would be so insulted. I would be so hurt. I'd say, sweetheart, what do you mean you don't believe me? I just want to take you out to dinner and bless you. But unless she accepted, unless she believed, we're not going anywhere. My son Isaiah, my son Isaiah. My son Isaiah, all he wants to do is snack all day long. Doesn't matter what it is, snack. I want a snack. That's that's the one thing I don't like to hear anymore. I want a snack. I want a snack. I want a snack. But he always likes to eat on the couch. He's two. He's got no business on the couch whatsoever. He can't eat on the couch. And so my wife puts a beautiful meal for him at the table. And then she says, Isaiah, come sit at the table and you can eat your snack and your meal, but you can't eat on the couch. Come, sit down at the table, and you can partake of the meal, and he continually just wants to be on the couch. Now, he's so much like you and I. 
God is trying to get us to the banqueting table, but there we are just loafing on the couch, missing out on the blessings of God for lack of faith, not willing to enter in. Son, get out of the living room, come into the kitchen, sit down and partake of this food. And there he is on the couch. And the Lord says the same to you and I. Behold, I've prepared a banqueting table before you. Even in the presence of your enemies, come feast at the table of the Lord. And there we are snacking on the couch, content to be where we are. Oh, man. Mark chapter 11, Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they shall be granted to you. And so when we approach the Lord in prayer, we must have faith. Now, if we're honest, we will admit that oftentimes our faith is weak. So you know what my favorite prayer has become? Lord, increase my faith. Do you think God's going to answer that prayer? Every time. But how's he going to do it? Oh, trials and tribulations. (laughs) Lord, give me patience. Okay, how about a flat tire? Oh, Lord, more patience. Oh, okay, how about your car won't start? Oh, Lord, give me some more patience. Okay, you want the roof to fall off the house? What do you want here? I'm giving you patience. The Lord works through circumstances. And so when I pray, Lord, give me faith, he will present a challenge that is beyond my human means. And he'll force me to my knees. And I will ask, and he will answer, and he will prove himself faithful. And my faith will be increased. There's also something called the gift of faith that we can pray for. But I find that when we ask the Lord to increase our faith, it is important that we are faithful. If we're going to come to him and say, Lord, give me more faith, then I think it's important that we are regularly seeking him. So here is one secret I have found in my Christian life. Schedule prayer time. Schedule prayer time. Today we gave you a newsletter for the church. Take that newsletter. There's a whole November calendar and begin to write in prayer times. There's prayer meetings on there every Wednesday and Sunday morning before church. But other times, schedule prayer times. Don't you know we have to schedule it? If we don't schedule it, will it happen? Never. And so in my own life, I schedule prayer times. I challenge you this week to set aside five minutes a day. Five minutes. Just five. Five minutes where you stop. You turn off the radio. You leave the room. You shut the door. Whatever you have to do. Five minutes of quiet time with the Lord praying every day. I challenge you. Come back next week and tell me if it isn't transforming your life. If it isn't, my dad will give you a free surfboard. (laughs) Secondly, motives. James chapter 4. Just flip over there very quickly to James 4. James chapter 4, verse 1. What is the source and quarrels and conflicts among you? The source of quarrels and conflicts among you. Is it not... Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. And you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You know what one of the biggest prayers in my life is? God, purify my motives. Purify my motives. I don't even know why I do stuff sometimes. Sometimes I say, oh, I'm going to go teach the word of God at church this morning. I'm going to do it just out of a love for the Lord and a love for people. And then I realize, no, I'm doing it for some selfish reasons. 
Oh, no, really, I'm doing it because I want to serve the Lord. No, Britt, you want the people to see you and admire you. No, honestly, I want to serve the Lord. No, Britt, you're doing it for thus and so. And I don't even know my own motives. My heart is desperately wicked and full of deceit, Jeremiah chapter 17 tells me. And so what do I pray? Lord, purify my motives. And so when we come to the Lord, we need to come asking him to purify our motives, asking with right motives that we don't want to spend it on our own pleasures. Main school across the street, when I went there, they used to have a bike rodeo back in the day. Anybody go there and remember the bike rodeo? Yeah, Aaron does. Okay, the bike rodeo. So they had this bike rodeo, and it was a one day in the year when everyone would bring their bicycles to school, and they'd set up these little cones, and we'd have to ride them around, and you know, whatever, bike rodeo. Um, I don't want to insult my parents, but this one year, I had a schwin <laughs> with a banana seat. I know they're cool now because they're retro, but what is retro now was lame then, do you understand? That's why it had to come back. It needed a second chance to redeem itself. I had a black and yellow Schwinn with a black banana seat on it. And it even had the sissy bar on the back of it. I don't want to sound ungrateful, but I hated my Schwinn. All my friends had already gotten red lines. Those were cool bikes. And so the night before the bike rodeo, I prayed like I have never prayed in my life. And brother, I tell you, I prayed with faith. Oh man, I had faith. I prayed all night long. I had fervency. I had faith. Lord, give me a red line. You see, I had seen one in the old bike shop that used to be by the Safeway. Remember when Vaughn's was Safeway? Remember that bike shop next to it? I had seen one in there. Lord, I want that bike. Lord, I want it in the morning. God is my witness. This is true. All night, here I am, fourth grade, praying. Lord, I want that bike in Jesus' name. Deliver it unto me in the morning on my porch. I prayed myself into fits all night long. I was absolutely positive that in the morning, the red line would be on the porch. I woke up, ran out on the porch, threw open the front door, nothing derailed my faith for years. Where are you, God? But you see, I was praying with the wrong motives. I had fervency. I had faith. I had wrong motives. God said, you ask and you do not have because you pray with wrong motives. Listen, don't go to prayer with your agenda. Go to prayer asking what God's agenda is. Don't go into prayer with your agenda. Go into prayer saying, God, what is your agenda? What sort of a fool says that we ought not to pray, Lord, your will be done? That is the only prayer. Jesus, when he taught us to pray, what did he say? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. My will be done on earth and in heaven. No, he taught us to pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he pray? Nevertheless, Father, your will be done. 1 John, it's very close to where we are. I might just slip over there for you. says this very clearly in chapter 5, verse John, chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. 
The Bible is very clear that if we pray according to God's will, we have whatever we ask. I am so disturbed by this move in Christianity that says it is a lack of faith to say, Lord, your will be done. That is foolishness and nothing could be further from the truth of the Bible. Faith is to say, God, your will be done because I trust you, because you're right, because I believe you. Lord, you have your way. You must be right. That is faith. It's foolishness to say, God, you do it my way and in my time. That's a wrong motive. God doesn't answer those prayers. So faith, motives, and lastly, obedience. 1 John chapter 3, and we end here. Verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. When we pray, it's wonderful to come to the Lord walking in obedience, laying aside the flesh and the sins and the things of the world and coming to him, walking in a manner worthy of the calling. The Bible clearly says here, whatever we ask, we receive because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. John 15 says, if you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Psalm 66, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Mark 11, and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father may also forgive your transgressions. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 tells husbands that they ought to dwell with their wives in an understanding way and grant them honor as fellow heirs of life, lest their prayers be hindered. Husbands, you don't deal rightly with your women, with your wives, and your prayers will be hindered. Our effectiveness and our prayer life is tied to our walk in our obedience. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, James said. Now, the prayer of mercy, God always answers. There's no prerequisite for that other than our need. We come to him and say, God, I need mercy. Save me according to the cross. And we can ask mercy. There need not be any obedience in our life whatsoever. That's mercy. We come and we say, God, give me mercy. But once we are in the family of God and walking and seeking the kingdom of God, there are certain other choice blessings which God will withhold from us unless we are walking in obedience. Think about your own children and how you deal with them. I will never deny my son Isaiah the necessities. I will always clothe him. I will always feed him. I will always shelter and protect him regardless of his character, regardless of his obedience. I will do those things for him until he's 18 and then he's out the door. But until, just kidding. Until then, it's not conditioned upon his obedience. These necessities I will freely give to him. But there are other things that he wants that are tied to his obedience. You understand that? There are other blessings which I desire to give to him. I really want to give it to him, but unless he does what Papa says, he cannot. If he's still snacking on the couch, he cannot receive the blessings of the meal set for him at the table. His lack of obedience, his absolute desire to stay on the couch removes him from the place of blessing. And so when we continue to walk in unrighteousness and obedience to the Lord, we remove ourselves from the place of blessing. That is why 
when you pray, it is simply important that you pray because as you pray, God will reveal to you his will. He will get you on track with his will. He will transform you from the inside out. He will make your desires his desires. He will place his heart in your heart. And so just begin to commune with the Lord, pray with the Lord, and he will get you into that place of blessing as you continue to walk in obedience. Jesus went up on the Temple Mount and he went up there fully expecting that his house would be a house of prayer, just as it said in the Old Testament. God said, my house shall be a house of prayer. And he walked up on the Temple Mount and there were the money changers and the crooks and the thieves and all this religiosity and all this stuff. And what did Jesus do? One of the most disturbing passages in all the Gospels. He began to throw over the tables. He began to destroy all the stuff the money changers had set up. It even says that Jesus had a whip and he began to use it. Sometimes my heart is so full of money changing, the things of the world, pursuing my own desires, that the Lord has got to walk up into my temple, this, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and start to turn over some tables, bring the whip just a little bit, start to reorganize some stuff, start to change some stuff until I once again realize his house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations. Lord, we ask congregationally that you would accomplish that work in our hearts. That you would simply impart to us a fervency for prayer. That you would instruct us in the wonder of being able to call out upon you, Lord, I am unable to express such things. I feel foolish as I try to express them. You, by your Holy Spirit, have got to quicken them to our hearts. Just put in us, Lord, we ask now, a passion for prayer. I, I would ask the congregation if you agree with this to just lift your hands. Just lift your hands if you agree with this prayer. And say, Lord, here we are in surrender. We lift our hands in a showing that our hearts are open. And we ask you to do a work in our hearts to give us a passion to commune with you to call upon you, to desire you, to seek after you, to come before you with faith. Purify our motives. Help us to walk obediently, but Lord, we lift our hands, saying, do a work in us. And now as we put down our hands, we open up the door to our temples, our bodies, which are the temple of the Holy Spirit now. And we say, Lord, if there are tables and things that need to be overturned, then come do them now. If you must come with a whip, Lord, come with a whip. But if there's worldliness in the temple where there should be prayer and godliness, then turn our hearts upside down. Chase out the money changers. Purify our hearts to know you, to seek you. Lord, we look to you to be the strength of our lives. We need you daily. We have confessed before the congregation that we are an anxious, needy, wicked people. We need you, God, to be the strength of our lives. We look to you now. Purify our hearts.